Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, there's somebody giving you permission to rip yourself off, and people are doing it again and again. I'm going to fill you in. And later, are you a coffee drinker? Do you like fancy coffees, whatever it is? Well, there's a new way you can get coffee without you having to make it and without a human making it either. That's a riddle. I'll fill you in. So I want to talk to you right now about the difficulty people have who are self-employed when it comes time to buying a home. The mortgage business historically has been set up only to serve people who work for a traditional employer getting a W-2. When you run your own business or you're part of uh, the gig economy in some form or fashion, you are like the square peg in the round hole. Nobody looks at you as a normal qualified borrower or buyer of a home. And is the number of people who are self-employed has grown so much, industry in at least the banking business has not moved forward. But that's till now. I saw a new report by real estate expert Kenneth Harney that now Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who underwrite most mortgages in the United States, have both put together brand new technology for people who are self-employed or employed in one place and then have side income as a side job working as, let's say, an Uber driver is an example, or whatever it is where you have side income. It's been so difficult to have that be part of a mortgage underwriting. Now, because of the new technology for electronic underwriting systems, you now have the ability to document income in much easier ways and go through underwriting in a much simpler way because of the new procedures that have been implemented by these two behemoths that are owned by us, the taxpayers. And this is important because lenders historically, many of them have just not been interested. It was too hard for them. It required too much manual labor to decide whether or not you were a worthy buyer, so they just push you away. Now with the new automated system, it deals with the laziness in so many people in the banking business and makes it possible for you to get a loan as long as you qualify. But and there's an automated system lenders are familiar with called Loan Beam for it. But there's another side to this as well. If you're planning to buy with an FHA loan, 
there are new guidelines that are being put into place because the default rate on FHA loans is way too high. And so if you have a really high amount of debt in your life or your mortgage payment would take up too much of your income, it's going to kick you out of the system, particularly if your credit score is not the best. And so the underwriting for an FHA loan is being tightened. And this goes up and down like a yo-yo over the years, loosening loosening standards and then tightening them. And I know it was going to frustrate some people, make some people angry when they can't get through underwriting for an FHA loan. But I'll tell you, it's actually probably doing a good thing if it forces you to reduce your pre-existing debts before you would add on the additional obligation of a mortgage. If you're already carrying a lot of debt and then you add a home loan on it, it may cause you to go from wheezing to not being able to breathe financially. And I want you to be careful how much overall debt and obligation you ever take on. Matt's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Matt. Hi there, Clark. It's it's a great pleasure to speak with you. I'm a big fan, and I love your uh, uh, every week segment with Bill Handel. I just love it. Love it to death. So, well, thank you so very much. Let me explain that. who Bill Handel is to people who are not familiar. Bill Handel is a icon in Los Angeles and a star of morning radio in Los Angeles. In addition to doing a syndicated show um, called Handel on the Law, and he and I have known each other for decades. We're buddies, and I do a segment with him um, that I do during morning drive time in Los Angeles, and he and I have a great time together. But you know something you would understand, Matt, as a Bill Handel listener? Yeah. When I go on the air with him, I never know which Bill Handel's going to show up. (laughs) (laughs) I can understand that, trust me. I've been listening for years, so totally understand. He's one of a kind, that's that's for sure. He definitely is. Well, how can I serve you today? Well, I've got... um, I recently signed up for a term half million dollar life policy, which I'm very happy with, but I've had this nagging quarter million dollar whole life policy that I signed up for about five and a half years ago. And I'm paying about $80 a month. I'm 36 and um, I'd kind of like to get rid of it, but I'm, I have to wait till year 16 to be able to cash it out without any um, penalties. And so I'm kind of, lost even though I now, you're sure it's whole life and not a universal life or variable universal life yeah i'm pretty sure because it's it's one of these ones where they sell you that oh if you live to 120 you'll make two million dollars and you know all this stuff uh, it's got your curse word uh, attached to it uh annuity um so all right so i'm getting thing. nervous again that this may be some form of universal life or variable universal life instead of whole oh. life. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, and there are a lot of uh, minefields involved with universal life and variable universal life. After we talk, I'd like you to go find the actual policy oh, okay. and see what you bought. And then I'm actually going to want you to spend some money 
to have a third-party service evaluate the policy you have and see okay. whether or not you should keep it, dump it, or in some way convert it. Because you may have an option to converting that policy, since you've already paid so much into it, into many years of term life insurance. Okay. okay. So gotcha. there's a thing called, um, I'm going to give you a website that is from the Consumer Federation of America Consumer Group. They have, yeah. they have a service for people who have insurance policies and want to know, like you are, you're at a decision tree, do you keep it, dump it, or something else? And they'll charge you $135 to evaluate it. And a guy who used to be a state insurance commissioner does this as um, just something he does for people. Is He'll evaluate these policies for the Consumer Federation. Okay. And it's well worth you spending the 135 because then you'll know exactly what to do. Sounds great. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. All right. So here's the website you go to, evaluatelifeinsurance.org. Okay, great. And they'll explain the whole thing to you, what you do and what information you're going to need to provide to uh, the former insurance commissioner to evaluate it and let you know what is your best option. Because surprisingly, if you're five and a half years in, he may say, based on the policy you have, that it makes sense for you to keep paying. Or he may say, just chuck the thing. Or who knows what he'll say. Sure. That makes you'll know, you'll know exactly what to do after oh, okay. you see his report. Wonderful. That sounds great. That's a, that's a wonderful tool. Thank you. Sure. And, you know, the thing is, it's funny because you think about insurance, it's 100%, well, almost 100%, a commission-driven business. So you never know when you ask for an opinion from an expert in the industry uh, whether they're telling you something that really is the up and up or it's just to benefit them. The beauty of just paying a flat rate and getting impartial advice is you know best to the ability and knowledge and judgment of the expert evaluating, you know exactly what the right decision is for you. Tyler's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Tyler. Hi, Clark. How are you? I'm doing great, Tyler. Thanks for asking. So, hey, Tyler. So, uh, Tyler. Yeah. We had talk here. You are how old? I am 27. And how much debt do you carry? Uh, zero besides our mortgage. And you on top of that are a saver. How did you become like this? Um, I was raised in a hardworking family that never seemed to get ahead. And uh, ever since then, I decided that once I could get an income of my own, that I was going to get ahead and stay ahead. And that's led me to here. Well, that is, that is great. So, so many people follow the patterns that they grew up in, but you learned from the pattern and decided to do it a completely different way for financial independence. And you should be proud of yourself for taking that as the lesson. Well, thank you. So how can I serve you? So, uh, as you know, we're debt-free besides our home and me and my wife, we want to become landlords and get in the real estate, but we're not sure if we should 
aggressively pay off our home first, or should we just go ahead and save up for a down payment and buy a rental property? So you're already developing. How much equity do you have at this point in the home you uh, live in? Uh, we're about 20%. Okay. So then I think you're fine to save up for down payment for the investment property you want to buy. Okay. And the home you're in, is it someday likely to be an investment property, or is it the home you're comfortable in and you're going to stay in? Uh, it'll likely be a rental property or something we would sell. I don't think we'll stay in it forever. All right, because the advantage with it is you already have owner-occupied financing on it, which is going to yeah. carry an interest rate usually about half a percent lower than what you get on an investment property. Okay. Plus the down payment you have to put in is usually significantly lower on an owner-occupied property than an investment property. A lot of lenders are going to require 30% down payment for an investment property. Mm, okay, that makes sense. So it would take a lot longer to save that up. So it may work out better for you if you know the house you're in is not the house you want to stay in, that maybe what you do instead is you uh, save up targeting towards the home you want to move to and potentially turn the property you're already in into a rental property. Okay. And then, then you get the lowest possible mortgage rate on the new property, and you already have an owner-occupied low mortgage rate on the property you live in today. Now, the only downside is, uh, I'm sorry, I have to throw in complications. The only downside <laughs> is that if the property you live in now has gone up a lot in value over the time you've been in it, it becomes an unsuitable one to convert to a rental property. Now, why is that? Because the tax laws are very favorable on selling a home that you've lived in as the owner-occupant and not nearly as friendly on a property that becomes an investment property. You lose the advantage you had inherent in it as an owner-occupied house. Okay. So those are that's kind of the decision tree. If you've have you had a big run up in value? Um, we got it for a deal, and uh, we have put some money into it. So I, I do think it's it's gone up probably ten to fifteen percent since we've had it. But um, that's not enough. That's not enough to to say nah, I'm not going to turn it into a rental property. I'm talking more when it's like you know thirty forty percent gain. Then that would become a factor. Okay. So I think you could go either way, but if you are going to, and I love investment property, I love having rental property, your priority should be the down payment you would be saving up towards it rather than expediting paying off the mortgage on the property you're already in, especially because the rental property is going to carry a higher interest rate anyway. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations, so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Today's Clark Rageous Moment is about something I've been asked about before, and that's the Earnin app, E-A-R-N-I-N. And this is 
a loan that you can get against your paycheck right on your phone. And so people will ask me, is this legit? Is this on the up and up? Well, here's what you need to know. And this is why it makes the Clark rage. Earn in is a lender that lends you money very similar to like any other payday loan. But what they charge you for the money, they call a tip. And it's voluntary. But that tip works out to an interest rate of, by the calculations in the New York Post, 469%, putting it right in the heart of where payday loans are so hideously ugly. Hey, again, you don't have to pay the tip. But if you don't pay the tip, you're limited in how much money you can borrow in advance on a paycheck. So let's think about this. If the privilege of paying 469% is you can borrow more money at 469%, that doesn't sound like a privilege to me at all. Know that earning, even though the tip is voluntary, this is something that is voluntarily putting yourself into an ugly amount of interest, an ugly amount of debt, don't do it to yourself. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com slash ask is where you go to post a question for me. There's a box there that if you check the box, it may mean that you're asking me your question directly. Otherwise, we have many ways for you to get answers to your questions, including free off-the-air advice available over 40 hours each week, a service of the Clark Howard Show since 1993. So, my wife and I were in Italy back in the winter, and there's something that we saw before, years before, in Europe, but very hit or miss, that now is becoming common. Try to picture a completely unstaffed convenience store that is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which makes it different than Amazon's experiment with the Amazon Go stores that are very limited hours. But you go in these convenience stores and you buy whatever is normally available in a convenience store, and it's truly convenient because it's open every day of the year 24 hours a day and because there's no normal staffing the convenience store takes up less square footage and you just go in and buy what you need particularly in Europe where stores tend to keep a smaller number of hours than hours normally do and in Italy eh, the hours can be a little haphazard somewhere so having 
access to these 24-hour automated stores is an enormous convenience. Obviously, there's staff that comes and restocks things, but the way you, you may be wondering how you buy things, it's almost like a modernized vending machine where you go and you um, punch a screen of what you want right next to something you want and you pick out all the things you want and then you pay with either euros or with some form of plastic and then voila you get your merchandise and a receipt if you want it and this idea of automated convenience is going to be something we see more and more of i told you before about the bakery machine i saw that is one that can bake fresh breads for you while you wait of many, many different varieties. And the machine, fully robotic, mixes the dough, bakes it, and slices it, and you're ready to go with a fresh baked loaf of bread and not just a very simple variety, many different varieties. And now, how about the robot barista? I think about what I was watching two weeks ago at a gate when my son and I were taking a flight and there was a Starbucks that he wanted to go get. He loves having, um, what's that thing called? A Frappuccino. So he goes over there and he says, dad, line's too long. I can't buy it. And so he said, see all those people over there? He says, those people are the people who've already ordered that are waiting for their their whatever's they're getting made at the Starbucks. And then that other line behind the rope are the people waiting to order. Well, what happens in an airport is people who've already paid have to abandon waiting and go to their flight. So they paid for a drink they're never going to get to drink. Enter the robot barista that is now starting to appear in busy places like airports. One company in this is called Brigo. And if you go to briggo.com, you can see a video roll about how the barista machine works, how you order right on your smartphone or at a touch screen on it, and then bam, the thing can make a quick cup of coffee or whatever the fancy drink is you want, and you are on your way. And... It goes along with so many other robotic assistants that are appearing in restaurants. And I think about the massive rebuild of the McDonald's around the country where they're set up for you to order from a kiosk in whatever language you speak. You go to the kiosk, you order your food, you customize it how you want. And there's a McDonald's that I occasionally go to that no longer has a staff counter, that everybody is supposed to go to the screen. And I'll help people at the screen who are intimidated by it, but we're going to see more and more, especially in areas of food service, we're going to see more and more automation, every phase of it from the preparation of the food to the preparation of your drink to how you order it and the the restaurant industry faces an intense problem with turnover and available labor. 
And that's why we're going to see more and more of these technologies in airports. You need speed. Now, when I change planes in St. Louis, there's a great temptation for me. There is an automated custard-making machine. And I only eat sweets on Sundays. The rest of the week, I'm really careful with what I eat. And so it's just so tempting when I see that machine in St. Louis. And I want one of those things so badly. I want to see how the robot makes it. But I've never done it because I've never been in that airport on a Sunday. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Chris. Hey, Clark. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good, thank you, Chris. You were thinking of buying a vehicle. I am, but I have a, a, a question. I'm ready. I have zero debt, no house, no car, nothing. I don't owe anyone for anything. And I was looking to pay cash for the car, and I told the salesman that I was going to pay cash, and he said... Never uh, tell a car salesman <laughs> you're going to pay cash. Never, 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 not ever. Because now why is that? most of their profit from the sale of a vehicle now comes from financing it, selling you an extended warranty on it, selling you uh, after-the-fact accessories... They don't make anything selling a new vehicle anymore. Oh, okay. Because of the ability for, on average, because the ability of people to shop online, that you don't motivate them at all when you tell them you're a cash buyer. And they'll always tell you why you should finance and try to convince you that the cash you have would work so much better for you staying as cash rather than doing uh, something where you pay cash for the vehicle, they want you to take out that loan. And that's exactly what he said. He said, well, how much are you receiving? And I said, in a savings account right now, I'm receiving 2.45%. And he said, well, this, um, the corporation has a deal of 0.09%, so why not let your money stay in the savings account, and then you would be ahead 236 percent a month on the money and I said hmm that's an interesting concept so I wrote to you and said well what do you think Clark so uh, the scoop is is that often when a uh, manufacturer offers a subsidized loan like that 0.09 right it's an either or they will offer you an additional reduction in cash back or they'll offer you the low interest rate loan okay so the, the thing I would do is look independently and see what incentives are available. Don't ask the salesperson. You want to look on your own and see what incentives the manufacturer is offering right now. And it likely will be something like 1500 cash back or reduction in price or .09 or 1000 or whatever it'll be. And right. so the advantage goes to you as a cash buyer is that uh, usually you'll be better off taking the cash and paying, taking the cash back, paying cash for the vehicle and being done. Right. You don't and like I, to borrow money like anyway. I didn't like the idea of having a car payment. Yeah. Why would you? Because he made it sound like I would be foolish to not do it based on the money. 
Well, again, if you just looked at the start choice of right. the 0 0.9, but you look at that versus your 2.5% you're earning on savings, I can see why you'd say that, but he's not accounting for the reduction in price that comes as an alternative. Okay. So when you say check for incentives, they did tell me they would give me $500 um, incentive if I paid cash. There you go. So they're saying it's 500 But so, how do I know that's the correct number? How do I know it's not 50 Well, that's why just uh, go whatever search engine you use, Google or whatever you use. Right. Just say, um, let's see. So you put in whatever brand of car and model, and you say incentives. Okay. And you'll be able to see what's out there on it and be able to verify that what they are offering is $500 cash back or the cheap financing and you might save a whisker of money doing the low finance versus the cash, but not enough that I would go into debt for. I would just pay them cash, take your $500 additional discount, and call it a day. Okay. Even though I'm really good about managing my money, I wouldn't spend that money knowing it's... Yeah, but, but why bother? Why, you're adding extra complexity to your life that doesn't need to be there. So that's why I would do it that way. You know, you earn that privilege by having savings. Zach's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Zach. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. So you are someone who is a max saver. You are really doing everything you can to save money in your life, right? I feel like it, yeah. <laughs> Tell me your scoop. So my situation is the last couple of years um, at my job, I've been um, contributing to my 401k, the maximum that I'm allowed to do. But I keep getting these excess contribution refunds back the next year, which, of course, as you know, increases my taxable income uh, for the following year, which is what I'm trying to avoid in the first place. Exactly. Um, you don't want excess contributions ever. Right. And, and the other problem is, is that it's obviously not, you know, doing for my uh, retirement what I want it to do. So if I'm stuck in a situation where I'm maxing out my contributions and I'm getting these refunds, I'm curious what your thoughts are on either diverting that money into an HSA <gasps> or... Are you HSA um, eligible? I am. Oh, man. If there's anything you want to max out every year... It's your HSA contributions, because okay. HSAs have the best tax advantage of anything you can do as an employment-based method of saving for the future, because HSAs are phenomenal in that, listen to the difference, you get to put in before-tax money that grows tax-free and is spent tax-free. It's like being the best of a Roth and the best of traditional all in one. Okay. So you definitely so my, want to max that out. So I'm getting, my question is on the HSAs then, are those typically interest bearing or do they function like an IRA where they buy investments to grow the, the fund? Either. You can do either. If you are of a, uh, in a position, which it sounds like you are with being somebody who saves so much, lives on so much less than what you make, that you can afford to pay your out-of-pocket medical bills from funds you have, you mm -hmm. invest the HSA money and have it grow through the years. 
because then it's okay. growing tax-free and then way down the road, uh, particularly later in life when you have a lot of medical bills, you're able to have that money be spent tax-free for medical expenses and having had years and years of tax-free growth. It's incredible how great the HSA is. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll definitely have to look into that more. Are there any options that you would consider with the post-tax uh, dollars that I'm getting back, or would you just divert them right into an IRA or HSA? If you can do, are you still eligible for a Roth IRA, or do you make too much money for that? Um, as far as I know, I'm still eligible. So I would do a Roth. You can put um, you know, 6000 a year in it till your 50th birthday, and then after that, you can put 7000 in. I would do that. I would max out the HSA, and if you want to do more after that, then you could do an index fund and a regular investment account where index funds carry ultra-low expenses, and they're extremely favorable even though they're in a taxable account from a tax standpoint. Kathy's with us on the Clark Howard Show, and Kathy, you have a son who's quite an academic scholar, I gather. Well, he did very well as his first semester. That's awesome. Not something yeah, anybody ever said about me in school. <laughs> I was very proud of him. Great. Well, how can I be of help with your freshman? Well, so I'm getting all of these um, invitations to different sorts of, I guess, honor societies. And they all seem to be these one-time fees of somewhere, you know, 60 75 $95 and um, gives you access to some scholarships and various other... <laughs> That's what I wondered. <laughs> yeah, we got some big pile of smelly manure here. All right. So it, it, it is a problem that I hear most often in high school. Very rare that I hear it involving a college student. But it is a common problem that uh, that someone who's been achieving very well academically will start receiving these mailings saying, congratulations, you're such a fantastic scholar that we have chosen you to be part of this society or that one or the other one, and all you need to do is pay X number of dollars. A real academic honors organization would not be right there talking about what you have to pay. Okay. And saying that, yeah, you want to pay this because we've got the inside track to all these scholarships and all that. That's just taking advantage of the burden that people face from the cost of college these days, that it makes you more vulnerable to somebody giving that pitch. Well, you're a wonderful resource, and I'm really glad that I reached out and asked and that um, I was able to get that answer. And by the way, there are legitimate honors that if your son continues his academic excellence that will that will happen but they're not going to be those that say congratulations we've selected you to pay us money okay (laughs) that's kind of a good dividing line all right well that's good to know and continued success to him academically in school that's great that you have a real achiever on your hands you're listening to the clark howard show 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.